0: Rushtuni Radio presents The Cure of Souls Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Russus John Rushtuni, Narrated by Nathan F. Conkey Produced with permission by the Calcedon Foundation 47. Confession and Inquisition God requires confession both the confession of sin and sins and a confession of faith. Confession is thus, in a double sense, an important aspect of the Christian life, a mandatory one. The important question, however, is this. Can the state or church require it? First, in biblical law, there is no permission for the civil order to require confession. In Joshua 7, the sin of Achan led to Israel's defeat. God then supernaturally made it clear that Achan was the guilty man, together with his family. Joshua then said, "Unto Achan, my son, give I pray thee glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done; hide it not from me." Joshua seven nineteen. Achan was asked to give honor to God whose supernatural action had uncovered Achan's guilt because sin uncovered and judged is less fearful than sin covered and unjudged. However, even though God himself had uncovered Achan's sin and Achan confessed, civil legality still required in terms of God's law corroboration. This was found and Achan and his family were executed it is evidence of how far Judaism strayed from the faith that Rashi held that Achan was executed quote, because he had violated the Sabbath. End quote. Two witnesses or two forms of witness were required Numbers thirty five thirty, Deuteronomy seventeen, six, nineteen, fifteen and sixteen, etc. God nowhere empowers man to seek confession in civil matters. Although he on occasion can himself confront men with their guilt. Second, in the church again, two or more witnesses are required thus in Matthew eighteen, fifteen to seventeen, our Lord declares Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. End quote. Paul declares, with regard to sinners in the Corinthian church, quote, In the mouth of Two or three witnesses shall every word be established second corinthians thirteen one again, with respect to accusation within the church, Paul writes quote, against an elder, receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses first timothy five nineteen. This is a telling statement because St. Paul here forbids even hearing charges, let alone trying them unless there are two or three witnesses to the charge made. There is another reference to this matter of the witnesses necessary for civil conviction in Hebrews 10.28, so that the law of witnesses obviously applied to church and state. Confessions were not alone valid, nor could they be extracted from any man. Roman law favoured forced confessions, as did all pagan laws. The church, in its development within Rome, disentangled itself from the compulsory confessional system of the empire. Its requirements was rather, its requirement was rather that men, led of God, confessed their sins and made restitution. It was thus a moral requirement in the main. The issue is a very, very important one. Mandatory confession in either church or state. Leads always to torture. Robert Held, in Inquisition, 1985, called attention to the fact that the incredibly evil instruments of torture used in inquisitions are still used by many modern states in various continents. He cited three ecclesiastical inquisitions one, the medieval or papal one, against primarily the Albigensians, but also used elsewhere. 1231 to circa 1400 2 the roman inquisition for the suppression of protestantism established in 1542 by pope paul iii and 3 the spanish inquisition used by the crown to centralize its power can we call it an accident in history that auricular confession was made mandatory at least once a year before communion by the fourth lateran council 1215, and that in 1215 that same council made the persecution of heretics the business of synodical courts. In 1148, the Inquisition began its work against the Albigensians in southern France. Consider the implications of mandatory confession. It requires implicitly a confession not only of sin but also of faith, faith as the Church defines it. This gives enormous powers to the church. It compels the faithful to make a double confession. If the church can compel confession, it can logically also compel an undeviating, unswerving obedience to the church's confession of faith. This then vindicates an inquisition. The same is true in the state. The U.S. Constitution's Fifth Amendment was intended to prohibit All coerced confessions. No man could be compelled to testify against himself. This, however, is precisely what Congress compels witnesses to do, pretending to grant them immunity from prosecution. This immunity is rapidly eroding. Even the idea of compulsory self-incrimination, with or without immunity, is ungodly. The question of the relationship of confession and inquisition is an essential one. Confession is a spiritual necessity before God, and on occasion before men. But to coerce men into confessing is the essence of all civil and ecclesiastical inquisitions. Inquisitions by civil governments are now commonplace in every continent, and their prevalence goes largely unnoticed. One of the great evils of all forms of inquisition is that they are justified in the name of protecting society or, at one time, the church. True protection is a moral fact rather than a resort to torture. Pastors and teachers are the necessary line of defence, but, above all, godly families. What we have seen thus far... Is that confession is a moral necessity. Confession can be made to the church or the clergy. It can be made to the person offended. Depending on the context, one or other of these can be morally required, but they cannot be coerced. It is a great evil to assume that because a particular goal is good, any means to it partakes of that good. In fact, Evil means create evil ends. Churches have suffered for their failures here. Psychotherapy is more and more discredited. and The power state is committing suicide. The link between confession and inquisition must be broken morally, legally and in practice. The world is moving into terrorism because its premises are very agreeable to it, civilly and ecclesiastically. Terrorism justifies itself by pointing to the ostensible evils of its targets. This has been the justification of tyrants over the centuries. It is particularly reprehensible that the church has involved itself in this justification. The decline of religious confession is both very sad and yet very necessary. The connection with the evil abuses of the concept over the centuries needs to be broken. Well done for listening all the way to the end. This is Nathan, the narrator, speaking to you from Puebla, Mexico, from the Faith for All of Life school in which I teach English as a volunteer. I teach from kinder through high school. Now, I rely on donations in order to keep teaching and recording, so... If you want to support a Faith for All of Life school in Latin America and want to keep listening to Rush Dooney while you vacuum, drive, or cook, commute, or whatever you're doing right now, donate at cten.org forward slash Nathan Conkey. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-C-O-N-K-E-Y, all lowercase. Or if you prefer PayPal, paypal.me forward slash capital N -n 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 Nathan, capital C Conkey. You can also email me at nfconkey, that's nfconkey, at gmail.com. Thanks, and I look forward to speaking to you very soon.